0: This is the meat of the podcast. Wait, have you ever, have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a yeah. yeah. This is going to be disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, yo, this shit feels like I won't ever make it. Oh. Fixed, up, I got to get off of this road. Hi, you're listening to She's in Russia. I'm Smith and I live in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm Lily and I live in St. Petersburg, Russia. On today's
1: episode, we decided to take a little bit of a different approach. Um, and I'm going to actually read a short story by a Russian author, translated into English. What's his name? Sergei Dovlatov. So yeah, so I'm just going to spend most of the podcast having story time. And Smith is going to listen with all of you. <laughs> I just moved to a new apartment. It's very beautiful in St. Petersburg, in the center, on a corner with windows on the street. So I have like a kind of 3d window it's that called panorama view of the corner and oh it's, I love the corner so much I just look outside and I sit on my we have like these wide windowsills and I just like to sit and look it's also what my cat does but
0: they're gonna have to talk about that. you from that apor- from that apartment yeah I'm gonna it's just leave, I'm gonna lay on the floor I'm in a hunger strike as I said so you expressed to the landlord how much you love it
1: yeah when the first day I was there I just texted him being like like I use this word I, I mean it was I was just like I'm like in ecstasy or not in ecstasy i <laughs> but it was something
0: like, that. Yeah, just like I'm yeah. so yeah. happy so <laughs> happy <you mean> <laughs> <now. laughs> <laughs> Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, like my heart hurts a little bit world. when I think about that <laughs> It's really, really yeah. nice. We, we're just gonna. We have to see because you know
1: anything could happen. Like okay, so anyway, so um yeah, so I'm living in this apartment for the summer while its owners are um living outside the city, and it's very sad because it's extremely beautiful and I would like to live here for longer, but in any case. I live on the fifth floor, and that's the top floor. And uh, right now, it's it's June. It's like, um, as you know, it's June. (laughs) It's the White Nights. It's It's the White Nights. It's also June in America. (laughs) So the White Nights, for anyone who doesn't know, is the name for when you're in the north and it's really light all the time in the summer, or like it stays light for almost twenty four hours. And I don't know what it's called like in Alaska, but here it's called the White Nights and this period of time. And we're at like the peak because the solstice will be June 21st. So basically leading up to the 21st, it just gets lighter and lighter every day. It's very magical. Do you like that it's light out all the time? It's it's a weird I, I can get a little like kind of manicky feeling because it can be hard to sleep or you don't feel tired. And then you have to force yourself to sleep and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. like I'm, I wear like... um an eye mask which I just took from the flight that my last flight that I took uh to sleep so that I because I don't have dark curtains here um so it's like uh yeah you get used to it um but okay so anyway the other night this is my story um one of my first nights in this apartment I just like it was a really beautiful night my friend Polia came over Anyway, she came over. We decided to like drink some rosé and and celebrate the apartment, and so we're hanging out. And then, um, she fell asleep. <laughs> this is the end of the night, and um, I was just kind of feeling like a little drunk and and like really good, and looking out. I was looking out the window at my corner, which it was like it was a, I don't know what time, maybe, one a.m., and there was just like people running running across the street it's kind of a okay i don't know to visualize it it's a weird corner there's like four different streets coming together like diagonals and that doesn't normally happen in in the city so like people tend to just like behave weirdly on it they like run across it weirdly or they just they don't use the crosswalks or they like yeah i had this really sort of excited i don't know um this feeling that that is kind of particular to the white knights where i was like. I was just like, ah, like I just I love the city so much. Like I was kind of feeling very in love, and um, seeing everything from above. And then I and then I decided like I really just need to go outside because like it was starting to get light. So it's so it kind of gets dark right now around midnight. And by dark I mean purple sky, like not really dark. And then the sun, quote unquote, rises at three a.m. So it's just like between two and three, it's starting to like dawn again. So just like not. Just there is no darkness. and right, right. I was so I'm like getting all like um, I don't know, just feeling really alive and excited and and I decide to just go outside and smoke a cigarette on my street and watch people from from down there. So um, I go out of my apartment and we have um, in this building, it's like on each floor there are these big doors that lead to a separate closed off hallway. So basically, you just have like it looks like like one apartment on each floor, but it's just one hallway on each floor with like separate doors. Okay. I go out of my hallway onto the stairwell, and I w- I start walking downstairs, and I like pass at each level at each floor. I pass like a hu- they're really tall, like huge doors, set of doors on each floor, um, and they're all different, which is just cool. They all have like different designs on them or like different material um some of them have like a million locks some of them are like falling
0: apart but you're on the you're on the fifth floor or the third floor yeah fifth It's just the top
1: okay so i'm going down and then like i get to maybe two or three doors down so i'm i'm like halfway and one of, and so now it's like between one and two a.m and one of the this like on this landing so two or three floors down one of the doors is open to this hallway which like never happens or i had never seen it and it was so strange because
0: three days of being
1: there yeah i never ever see this neighbor (laughs) (laughs) but it was very strange i I, like i was kind of like running down the stairs and as soon as i saw the light coming out of the door into the into the stairwell i kind of like slowed down because i was like what's going on because it just looks like it, it felt voyeuristic it was like i'm seeing into someone's private space and what was strange yeah. was that door was open and everything inside was blue the inside of the door was like blue the like hallway paint was blue and i guess just the way the lighting was it was just kind of like glowing blue into the hall um but you couldn't see you c- but it's a hallway with the apartments on right yeah like other people's apartments come off of that that hallway, but I just like okay. from the stairwell. I just see down a hall, basically, okay. like a private hall. So this okay. blue hallway, and then and then I'm like kind of slowly walking because I'm like, what's going on? Or like I'm going to interact with someone right now. And then I just see someone's like foot. They're they're like sitting right inside the door, but they're like their legs must be crossed, and one of their foot is just sort of like bouncing, like they're just sitting there. It's okay. <laughs> just like. On the ground, or there's a chair. No, they're sitting on a chair, and I only see their feet, like their one one foot that's like crossed over the other leg. Um, (laughs) and it's like in a slipper, and I just like felt really, yeah, it felt really intimate and strange, and I was like, do I have to like say something? But I just kind of like walked past them. Yeah, and that that was just like I don't know, it was just like a, a a it was a very weird moment. I almost felt scared because I felt like something could happen for some reason like something bad could happen or that someone could be like someone could be drunk i don't know just like some suddenly my mood was just like fearful for some reason Mm. um which doesn't make any sense it was not based on anything it was just this like it felt like i was having access to something that i shouldn't have access to like why was that person sitting there at 2 a.m and like what were they doing and why was the door open
0: um and you couldn't it, see them at all. Like, you couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman or anything. I think it was a
1: woman, but I couldn't. I didn't see their face because, like, I just walked past the, the foot. <laughs> um, and then, like, yeah. And 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 I I so I went outside, and then yeah, I just like stood on the street a little. Like, enjoyed being outside. It was kind of warm, and I was like, okay. When I come back up, I'm gonna be able to see them because it's they're gonna be. I'll come from a different angle. So I'll be able to like okay. see them sitting. Um, and I come back up and I'm like, okay, I get to the second floor and I can't remember exactly what floor it is. I'm like, okay, third floor. And I'm like looking for this blue door inside. Mm. And I, and I'm like climbing the stairs and eventually I just get to my door and all the doors have been closed and there was no blue door. And like the whole, it just, like everything everything was closed and quiet and dark it's just like the scene was over like the feeling I was having as I came back up the stairs at each landing I was like okay this is gonna be it this is gonna be it and then it just didn't happen and then I got to my door and I was like what like did I did I make that whole thing up or because I wasn't outside for a long time like (laughs)
0: yeah that, that sort of thing, I, that has this similar feeling to, did you read, I don't remember what it's called, but did you read that like book as a kid where he finds that like chocolate shop and they give him chocolate and a little piece of chocolate and he eats it and then everything he eats after that turns to chocolate in his mouth and then he Whoa. goes, he goes back to find the place because it ends up being a curse. It sort of feels like a King Midas thing, but he goes back And the chocolate shop isn't there anymore. But it had that like similar sort of like eerie thing. Mm, I didn't read that story. I don't know what that's like.
1: But what's like. It's kind of like. Yeah. I mean. Remember in Harry Potter. They also have that. All right. All right. I'm just. I'm really a big fan of Harry Potter. What?
0: What? That room that you walk by and you can't find. All right. You don't even know what it's called. Just remind me and stop hating on me. What?
1: Why don't you just remind me instead of just hating? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Sorry, it's called the room of requirements. Is it really? Yeah, but it it's a, the room of requirements because you like think of what you need and then it becomes that. The room
1: of requirements that doesn't sound familiar at all. Okay, I read I read Harry Potter in childhood, but yeah, it's that thing like you know. So Petersburg has that feeling in general. I feel like that experience I had on the stairwell was like a microcosm for experiences i've had with i don't know certain like buildings here that i think i know where they are and then i can't find them um mm. a lot of hidden things that are like in courtyards and 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 the white N- so uh, sort of the timeliness of it is that i really feel like the white knights period like enhances that strangeness kind of
0: um now yeah, what's the word for that surreal Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. That also feels and may like very like Murakami ish. Hmm. Yeah, but like Russian Murakami.
1: It was really Russian. Russian (laughs)
0: Murakami, yeah. Yeah.
1: Because like everything about it, like the doors are very specific to like the buildings here. They're like tall old doors. And like this foot that I saw in the slipper is just like a very Russian foot because it was just like foot yeah <laughs> i mean the sock it was like in a sock and then in this those slide-on slippers that are just like you know flimsy material with like a band across yeah mm-hmm. yeah be russian
0: <laughs> what's that last part <laughs> the part of the guy who
1: so okay. Yeah. I'm just going to briefly introduce Sergei Devlatov, whose story I will read to you today. He was born in 1941 in a city called Ufa, which is the capital city of the Republic of Bashkortostan in Russia. He, but basically, he grew up in Leningrad. He was evacuated to, or rather, his family was evacuated to Ufa, at the beginning of the war, so 1941, World War Two, Leningrad blockaded. Shitty place to be.
0: Wait, wait. He was e- evacuated to Ufa. No,
1: he was born in Ufa. His family was evacuated. Then he was born. His family was evacuated from Leningrad. He was lucky that he wasn't born in Leningrad because he'd be dead probably. Um, they. Let me say that again. He's lucky. <laughs> He's lucky he wasn't born in Leningrad because that. Leningrad in 1941 is no, a no, horrible to. place to be born. Okay. <laughs> so um, he would be dead. <laughs> probably not be alive. So Ufa, but just to give you an idea, the republic that Ufa is the capital of is located in, it's like over Kazakhstan. So it's east of Moscow, a good amount.
0: Um, okay. I don't think people like know Russian geography that much. So yeah, but they're going to know it. Okay they're gonna fucking figure it out Uh Uh yeah totally Uh um so in any case
1: he ended up after the war he moved back there his family moved back there he grew up in leningrad i guess basically he was like a he was a journalist um he wrote apparently he wrote newsy-esque articles for some you know not big journals with like using different pen names he did Is not he publish anything uh-huh. in the USSR. No, he's dead. He did not publish anything oh. in the USSR until after, until the a- late eighties, basically. So, like Glasnost and Perestroika, because he was not a, I guess he was not following the socialist realist lines well enough. Okay. Um. So, but his work was, uh, published Perestroika. So yeah. So he's in Leningrad. He's working for some obscure journals, papers. His first novel his first so his work is published in in what's called samizdat is that a familiar term to you samizdat no okay it, it's like um it literally means self-publish and it's like the underground uh the name for for unofficially published works in the soviet union so basically like samizdat you know you have a samizdat yeah like sam is like self okay. and isdat is to publish or okay. um, it's the root of the word for publish So basically, so in order like- to
0: be published Through like a publishing house You have to be Like more in line with state interests So a lot of people self-publish Well More in line with st- I mean there was a what, Like a,
1: a, a type of art um, Like the term Socialist realist Is like a Set of rules that sort of you need to 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 follow
0: um in your art specifically it's specifically for art,
1: yeah, in different Do you com- know different the rules mediums
0: off the top of your head rule number one i mean it's not like that it's not like Ugh. so social- socialist socialist or socialism socialism realism,
1: socialist
0: realism is like. An art movement in the Soviet it's Union. Not,
1: it's not a movement.
0: It's like the state. um Well, it's a state. It's a state style, like, right? But it it is a movement in a weird way, right? Like a state s- created movement or a state regulated
1: movement. Yeah, I mean, like, okay. So the only thing it's not like it's. I don't. I don't think it's like rule number one. Rule number two. But for, first of all, one thing you have to remember is like writers who are being officially published in the Soviet Union are part of the writers union and then like and 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 the vlatov is part of the journalists union or whatever um and so yeah i mean it, it's a it's a form of censorship basically like let's take literature as the art form since we're talking about a we're talking about a writer um but it applied to any medium of art basically but you like the rules are that you need to depict communist values, you know, like you need to glorify communism um, in a realistic way. So what's like writers who who were officially published were able to work sometimes like, you know, work around that. In in this is true of not just Russia, but like any socialist country with
0: satire and, you know, with various like types of subtle rebellion. We should talk about that at some point. That sounds like interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is like this is something that it's a big topic. That's why I'm sort of struggling. It's like when as a student of right. Russian literature, we like covered socialist realism in my courses, you know, for more okay. than five minutes. Um, <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Um. just know that like yeah Devlatov was not published and then he, his first his first like officially published work was by a Russian Russian language publishing house in the US who I guess got it from Samizdat like it was
0: sort of smuggled out of the country and wait, 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 I'm sorry is Samizdat a it's an organization
1: no it's the name for a phenomenon
0: I would say Okay, so it's really just, like, literally self-publishing.
1: Yeah, like like manuscripts that, you know, are copied or, like, they cycle through. So, like, you could be reading something that, like, it's all worn out because a lot of other people have read it. Yeah, people would pass, basically, like, pass along manuscripts. And I guess somehow it got out of the country and, and this U.S. publishing house, Russian-language publishing house, published it in, in 1977. So this is, like... This was a big deal, and because that happened, he actually got um, kicked out of the Union of Journalists. And eventually, so this was sort of like what started the wheels turning for his emigration. He moved to New York in 1979, so just a couple years later. And he was much more, in terms of his literature, he was much more successful in the States than he was in the USSR ever. Um, okay. He started publishing things. He started his own magazine for Russian émigrés, so his Russian language was called The New American. He published, like, much more prolifically in Russian. And he, like his, uh, like Joseph Brodsky, who is his uh, same generation as him in a very similar kind of, like, story in an extreme rough sense, in, in the sense that he also emigrated to the States around the same time, they both were translated... Into English and published also in, um, in any case, they're both published and read by an American audience. And Dovlatov, he ended up publishing a total of 10 short stories in the New Yorker during the 80s and all tra- translated into English. Right. One last little nugget about him is that in 2014, the city of New York named uh, a street after him in Queens. This mm-hmm. is the street where he used to live. He lived there for 10 years. Um, okay. the, the corner, the intersection of 63rd Drive and 108th Street in Queens is now called Sergei Devlotov Way.
0: And then he died in 1990 in New York,
1: um, from like heart failure.
0: You know some this is like separate, but we need to probably start being more mindful about actually making a feminist podcast, because I don't think it's automatically feminist just because we happen to be two women. Yeah, I know. I thought
1: you know? about that for a second because I'm not picking a female writer. And I was yeah. like, oh, fuck, I should have picked a female writer, but I just like
0: don't know any. So uh, Awkward. There's that excuse. There it is. <laughs> no, no, it's not a good excuse. Um, there just aren't any. It's so hard to find them.
1: I definitely could have researched better um, in terms of picking a female author to read today because um, the majority of fiction authors that I read in college as a Russian literature major were male, the vast majority. A couple of female poets, very well-known mm. poets are female. Um, but I think for another episode, if we have story time again, if we have story time again, I will for sure dig deeper into that issue and pick a female writer. But the the process I went through to pick this author, Dovlatov, for today was not very rigorous. It was just that I wanted to pick an author who is an emigre writer. So somebody who lived in the States specifically, um, to go with our theme. And I originally wanted to pick a short story that was like a Russian author writing about the U S that's not actually, that's maybe not the most important thing, but the fact that this is an emigre writer means that he was located, he was located in the U S he was located in New York when he wrote this what year was it in? Okay, so I'm going to introduce it. Um, oh, okay. Okay. But I just wanted to say that the process for picking it was, yeah, that I wanted to pick yeah a writer who was an immigrant writer. Um, and I did originally want the story itself to be about the States or about New York. But uh, I actually haven't read this story. So this is just going to be me reading the story for the first time and probably a lot of people's first time hearing it. So I don't know where it's set, but I know that it was written in New York and it was published on May 5th, 1986 in The New Yorker. That's Gracie's birthday. That is Gracie's birthday. We mentioned Gracie a lot,
0: Smith. Grace is one of our very good friends and she will be guest appearing um, in a few episodes.
1: Can you get a little more NPR on me? Hello those lips closer, and speak
0: softly. We need radio
1: voices. No,
0: we don't. No, we we don't. Well, I'm working on mine. (laughs) You just need radio sentences. Your voice is fine. Thank you.
1: Today I'm reading one of the stories published in The New Yorker. It is called... The colonel says I love you. Our world is absurd, I say to my wife, and a man's enemies are the people of his own house. My wife takes offense, though I say this as a joke. She comes back with, I'll tell you who your enemies are, cheap port and bleached blondes, which means, I say, that I am a true Christian, for Christ taught us to love our enemies. Such conversations have been going on between us for 20 years give or take a few weeks. I emigrated from Leningrad to America, dreaming of divorce. The sole ground for divorce was my wife's extreme imperturbability. Her serenity possessed no limits. I still wonder that two opposite qualities, serenity and contrariness, can coexist in one person. We met in 1963. This is how it happened. I had a room in a communal apartment, but a room with its own entrance. The window faced a garbage dump. My friends got together practically every evening at my place. Once, I woke up in the middle of the night, saw the dirty dishes on the table and an overturned chair, remembered the evening that had just been with a stab. Some of us had gone out for more vodka three times. Someone had actually said, "Let's go get something to eat at Iliseev's. It's three hundred meters there, and about the same distance back." I started thinking about what breakfast would be like in a messy room. Suddenly, I sensed that I was not alone. Someone was sleeping on the couch between the refrigerator and the record player. There were rustlings and sighs. I asked, "'Who's there?' "'Suppose it's Lena,' a calm female voice answered unexpectedly. I got to thinking. "'You don't hear the name Lena so very often,' in my circle of friends. In my circle of friends, Tamara's and Larissa's predominated. I asked, "'What's your status, Lena?' to put it more Wait, simply pause, pause. what's
0: what's the do you know what that means like what's the equivalent of a tamara or a larissa?
1: Tamara, larissa
0: like ashley
1: that's like actually like i don't know a lot of tamara and Larissa, so i don't know what he means that that but i just like the i think this is a kind of a point about like there's just not that many names and it's like you can have a bunch of people with the same name and you're okay yeah tamara's and larissa's just a bunch of them (laughs) um but lena is or lena lena i think it's pronounced i think it's
0: probably yelena sorry should i reread it as lena no it's okay i'm gonna leave all this in
1: oh hello
0: everyone oh
1: okay back to the story i asked what's your status lena to put it more simply who is your socius quanon there was a pause then the calm female voice said, Gurevich forgot me. Gurevich was someone I knew through buying books on the black market. He was to be arrested two years later. What do you mean forgot? Gurevich. We're gonna call him that.
0: Gurevich. Okay. I just
1: really I really Americaned that because like Americans always put the syllable the stress on the first syllable, like Vladimir
0: instead of Vladimir. And so I just Gurevich
1: Oh, that.
0: Vladimir vladimir Gurevich, yeah vladimir vladimir, vladimir putin. Or like, putin or like we say we say putin putin, we say like Ivan instead of Ivan, oh yeah, ivan <sighs> ivan <laughs> but is. ivan, i feel like there are there i mean there are m- Americans named ivan, not yeah, yeah it's it's pronounced ivan, yeah ivan, yeah, that's pretty for a for a man. Okay. okay,
1: back to the story. Gudevich was someone I knew through buying books on the black market. He was to be arrested two years later. What do you mean forgot? Gudevich got drunk and called himself a taxi. I began to remember something. You were wearing a brown dress? Basically, yes. Green. Gudevich tore it, but I slept in somebody's work shirt. That's my old army shirt. A relic, so to speak. When you leave, please take it off. There's some kind of metal here in front. That, I said, is a sports emblem. So sharp, it kept me up all night. Who could blame it, I said. Finally, I remembered who she was. Slim, pale, with Mongolian eyes. By this time, it was getting light. Look the other way, Lena said. I covered my face with a newspaper. Instantly, the acoustics changed. The young lady proceeded to walk to the door to judge by the sound in my velveteen slippers. I crawled out from under the blanket. The day had begun in a very strange way. Then some awkward maneuvering in the hall. A towel around my not-so-bony ribcage. The army shirt that didn't quite reach her knees. We got past each other with some difficulty. I headed for the shower. After a shower, a degree of relative lucidity always enters my life. I came out after three minutes to find the table set with coffee, cookies, jam, also fish and aspic... For some reason what is that
0: i don't know let me look it up aspic yeah gelatin from meat stock, and it looks like it has ah of different things in it yeah that's um wow okay yeah that's like
1: super russian i didn't know what that was in english that is not to be translated because nobody eats it it's like jellied meat it's
0: yeah it's like a College, loaf yeah. that's like,
1: it's, it's it kind of looks cool though. I think that like, it's not horrible tasting, but I just can't get over the texture. So I always like refuse it, but people love it. Yeah. Also fish in aspic for some reason. So like jellied fish. By this time, Lena had put on her dress, the classic rip by the collar, the mark of Fima Gredevich's unbridled sensuality became her well. Truly, I said, it is green. We had breakfast, making varied small talk. It was all amiable, easy, and even pleasant. Like a kind of corrective to the general craziness of the situation. Lena got her things together, put on her shoes, and said, I'm off. Thank you for a most pleasant morning. Then I heard her say, I'll be back around six. Good, I said. (laughs) I thought of the time I was leaving a bathhouse with a friend when a policeman stopped us. We both got very tense and asked, what's going on? and he said you wouldn't happen to remember when Akhmatova's rosary was published my friend said 1914 hyperborean press st petersburg the police said thank you huh? you can go where we asked wherever you wish he answered you're free at that time i had been struck by the mixture of the everyday with the absurd and now i had a similar impression from lena's i'll be back around 6 and i had an appointment at 5:30 to make matters worse it was not with a woman but with an editor after that there was supposed to be a banquet celebrating someone's successful thesis defense i called to cancel the appointment the banquet i ignored i rushed home from work in a taxi i found myself thinking i should have ordered another set of keys i waited (laughs) she arrived close to six she opened a string shopping bag and unpacked cans of food eggs and hake you do whatever you have to do she said and i'll get all this ready I had a wild thought. Maybe she's got me mixed up with somebody else? With some dear and close person? Maybe the world really has gone mad. We ate supper. I sat down to work on something I was writing. Lena washed the dishes and turned on the television. My television had not worked in two years, and now it suddenly started working, just like new. I noticed a few small changes. Some foreign jars had appeared above the sink. Something suede hung in my closet. A pair of short beige boots stood by the refrigerator. Even the scent of the air in the apartment was different. It grew late. Lena asked, Would you like tea or coffee? Tea. We drank tea with some kind of gingerbread cookies. I hadn't eaten gingerbread for about 30 years. Suddenly, I saw that it was one in the morning. Time to go to sleep, it would seem. Lena said, Go sit in the kitchen for a moment. I sat there, smoked. Read last Tuesday's paper. When I went back into the other room, she was asleep, on the very same couch, only instead of the army shirt, I saw something pink. I lay down on my bed and listened. Not a sound. Not even the smallest, flirtatious rustle in her sleep. I waited for about ten minutes and fell asleep myself. In the morning, everything went just as before. The slight awkwardness, a shower, coffee with milk. This time, she said, I'll be held up. I'll get here after 11, so don't worry. I went off to a newspaper office and from there to the Union of Journalists bar. I met a Swedish woman who invited me to her, t- her hotel. She kept saying, Cossack, pour me some of that Russian vodka. My friends, oh, my friends were planning to go to an underground concert to hear a certain avant-garde musician and a highly unusual one at that. He played the cello lying down. In a word, temptations by the carload. But I hurried home. I was late getting back to my madhouse. When she arrived that evening, I said, "Lena, let's have a talk. "'It seems to me we have to get some things out in the open. "'Something strange is going on. "'I have to ask a few ticklish questions. "'Do you mind if I ask them straight out?' "'Go on,' she said, and her face was as untroubled as a dam. "'I asked, "'You have no place to live, right?' Lena got slightly offended, or rather, she showed me some surprise. Why do you say that? I have an apartment on Dachny Prospect. Why do you ask? Well, no reason, really. It seemed to me... I I thought... Then just one more question, completely between friends. A thousand times pardon, are you perhaps attracted to me? There was a pause. I felt myself blushing. Finally, she said... I make no claims on you. That was how she put it. Claims, she said. I don't make. Then there was a pause that was even more tense than before. For me. She was full of serenity. The look in her eyes as cold and firm as the corner of a suitcase. Here I got to thinking. Perhaps her serenity put her above making sexual distinctions. Above feeling any biological pull toward a man. Even above the idea of a permanent place of residence. And now... One last question, only don't get mad, and if I'm wrong, just forget I ever said this. To make it short, there's just one possibility. You wouldn't be by any chance be employed by the KGB. Huh? Anything is possible, I thought. I was, after all, somewhat known, in thought and behavior unrestrained. I drank rather a lot, shot my mouth off. My name had been mentioned on the Russian broadcast from West Germany. Maybe the KGB thought I was a budding dissident and had assigned this unbelievable woman to me. Now, I thought, she's really got to start yelling. If I'm not right, she'll raise the roof. And if, I'm, if I am right, she'll raise it even more. I heard her say, No, I work in a beauty parlor. And then, If you don't have any more questions, let's have some tea. That was how everything began. During the day, I would run around looking for hack work to earn money. I'd return home upset, humiliated, and bad-tempered. Lena would ask, Do you want tea or coffee? We hardly talked. There were only brief, business-like exchanges of information. She said things like, Someone named Beskin called, or Where's the laundry soap around here? My literary affairs did not interest her, and I didn't ask her questions either. Our madness took everyday, commonplace forms. My routine changed somewhat. Lady friends called less and less often. Well, why call if a calm female voice answers the phone? We remained absolutely unknown to each other. Lena was unbelievably silent and serene. Hers was not the tense silence of a spoiled loudmouth, and not the menacing silence of an anti-tank mine, but the silent serenity of a tree root listening absently to the rustle of foliage. A week went by. Saturday morning, I couldn't stand it anymore. I said, no, I shouted, Lena, listen to me. Let me be completely frank. We are living like a married couple, but without the main element of married life. We keep house. You do the laundry. Please tell me, what does all this mean? I'm losing my mind. Lena looked at me with calm, friendly eyes. Am I in your way? Do you want me to leave? I don't know what I want. "'I want to understand. Love I understand. Lust I understand. "'I understand everything but this normalized lunacy. "'If you were a KGB agent, then everything would be normal. "'I would even be pleased. "'There would at least be some kind of logic. "'But this way,' Lena was silent, then said, "'If you want me to go, just say so.' "'And then lowering her narrow Mongolian eyes a little, "'If you need that, it's all right.' "'What do you mean that?' Her eyelashes lowered even more, her voice sounded even calmer in the sense of physical intimacy. No, no, I said, what for? <laughs> Could I really dare, I thought, destroy the serenity in so gross a way? About two more weeks passed, and what saved me was vodka. I got drunk at the office party of a progressive publishing house, made it home close to one in the morning. then, well, how shall I put it best? I forgot myself, encroached took the aberrant road of the future jailbird, Gurevich. It was not love, and it was certainly not a, quote, momentary weakness. It was an attempt to ward off chaos. The stone I threw sank without a ripple to the bottom of the ocean. We didn't even start addressing each other in the familiar form. A year later, a daughter was born to us, and we named her Katya. That was how we got acquainted. In the capacity of husband, I was a dubious catch. For years, I had no steady work. I had the tarnished appearance of a disqualified matador. My stories were not being published. I grew more and more bad-tempered and less and less careful. In the summer of 1970, the first of my manuscripts found their way to the West. I began to have foreign acquaintances. They sat in our room till late at night and gladly drank vodka while they snacked on liver sausage. My communal neighbor, Tic used to mutter in a threatening way, the people you know. Real Sinyavsky, Daniel types, troublemakers. In the fall of that year, my name was again mentioned on some broadcast from the West. My stories did not interest Lena. In general, she took no interest in accomplishments as such. Her limited outlook seemed a part of her limitless tranquility. In this way, my life came under the rule of two opposing elements. An ocean of rising nonconformism raged to the left. To the right stretched the untroubled calm of bourgeois well being. And I stumbled along in between. Meanwhile, Lena had left her job in the beauty parlour and been hired as a proofreader by the Soviet writer publishing house. This surprised me. I didn't know she was so literate just as I didn't know much else, and don't, and don't to this day. A year later, she entered into conflict with the authorities. It happened like this. Her publishing house issued a limited edition of Anak Matava's poetry. A very small number of copies were set aside for the staff, but some people were entirely passed over, and included among them was my wife. She went to see the director of the publishing house, Balashev, and stated her claims. Balashev said, you do not quite grasp the complexity of the political context. The largest part of the edition has to be sent abroad. We are obliged to throttle the voice of bourgeois propaganda. Throttle mine, Lena told him. From then on, a partial fellow dissident understanding formed between us. The years went by. Our daughter was growing up, She used to point at my shortwave radio and say, I put your BBC on the window. We had little money. We quarreled often. I would blow up. My wife would be silent. Silence is an enormous power. It ought to be banned by law, like biological warfare. I was always complaining about the absence of a future for me as a writer. Lena would say, write 2,000 stories. They have to publish one of them. I would think, what's she talking about? What's the use of getting one story published? And even got offended, though, for no reason. Though for no reason. We saw scale differently. I put the emphasis on the unit, Lena on the mass, and she was right. You can only conquer with quantity. All of world history bears this out. I knew so little about my wife that I was constantly being surprised. Anything could that could ruffle her serenity took me by surprise. Once she burst into tears when someone from the House Management Committee said something insulting. To be honest, I was even pleased. It meant that her passions could be aroused. But this happened rarely. Most of the time, she was imperturbable. In the 1970s, emigration to the West began. Close friends were leaving. There were endless discussions about whether to leave or not. I kept insisting, What would there be for me to do there? It makes no sense to run from one's native home. If literature is a reprehensible activity, then our place is in prison. Lena gave no opinion. She seemed to have become even quieter. The days dragged on in endless depressing talk. At the dinner table, frequent trips to the airport to see people off, and conversations at night. I remember well that February day when Lena came home from work and said, That's it. We're leaving. I've had it. I tried to argue. I talked about the motherland, about God, about the benefits of withstanding intense social pressure, about the linguistic and cultural range available to us. I even spoke of birch trees, something for which I will never forgive myself. <laughs> but Lena was already leaving the room to make a telephone call. I blew up and went off for a month to a job on the Pushkin estate near Pskov. When I returned, Lena handed me a stack of papers to sign for Kasia and her. I said, What, already? Yes, she said. Everything is settled. We have the documents in hand. I'm sure they will let us leave. It could happen within the next two weeks. I was stunned. I hadn't thought it would happen so soon. More to the point, I had hoped Lena would talk me into leaving with them. After all, it was I who loathed the Soviet regime. After all, those were my stories that weren't being published... It was I who was just a hairbreadth away from being a dissident. From then till the day they left, I walked around in a kind of daze. Mechanically did whatever had to get done. Greeted guests and saw them off. The day of departure came at last. A crowd gathered at the airport. Mostly my friends and drinking cronies. We said goodbye. Lena looked completely unperturbed. One of my relatives had given her a going-away present of a silver fox fur piece. For a long time afterward, I had dreams of grinning fox faces. My daughter was wearing big, clumsy sneakers. She looked dazed. That was the year that she wasn't pretty at all. Then they got into the airplane bus. We waited for the plane to take off, but planes were leaving every few minutes, and it was hard to tell which one was theirs. I began to miss them on the way back from the airport and started drinking straight from the bottle in the taxi home. The driver said to me, at least bend down. I said, it doesn't come out well that way. (laughs) From that day on, my entire life changed. I was overcome with agitation. The only thing I thought about was emigrating. I drank and thought. Lena wrote postcards that were like coded messages. Rome is a large, beautiful city. By day, it's hot. By night, they play music. Katia as well. Prices are comparatively low. Her postcards were loaded with calm. <laughs> My mother read them over and over again, trying to find some shred of emotion, but I knew that was useless. I will now set down and outline the events that followed. The accusation of social parasitism and of promoting dens of vice. The signed oath not to leave town while under investigation. Inspector Mikhailov. Some unexplained beatings at a police station. Another series of broadcasts from West Germany. Arrest and trial on Tolmachev Street. Nine days at the Kalyaev Prison. Unexpected release. Summons to the Office of Immigration. The KGB Colonel at the Office of Immigration told me politely and amiably, "You ought to emigrate. Your wife has left, and you should have left long ago." Just to the contrary, I said, "I thought that when my life, I thought that when my wife left, our marriage was over. A divorce would be a mistake." We would like you to see your family reunited. But we were never officially married, I said. A mere formality, the colonel said, smiling broadly. And we're not formalists. After all, you love them. Who is them? Your wife and daughter. Well, of course you love them. It was in this way that my love for my wife and daughter became a fact. And the person to bear witness to it turned out to be a KGB colonel. I tried to find my bearings. I could make out two real poles to the world, the known native suffocating here and the obscure half-fantastic there. Here, I had a limitless vista of a tormented life among friends and enemies. There, only wife and child, the tiny island of my wife's imperturbable calm. All my hopes were there. I don't know why I gave the KGB colonel a hard time, 6 weeks later my mother and i were in austria vienna reminded me of a section of leningrad the part between the fontanka and Sadovaya street the single significant feature of the city's landscape was the river the river that turned out on our third or fourth day to be the Dan- danube Is that how do you say that
0: it was danube 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 no no, no. <clears throat> we're very cultured people
1: Prostitutes stood out against the grayish backdrop of the streets. They looked like the heroines of foreign film comedies. We settled in a little hotel called The Admiral. My mother read Solzhenitsyn day and night. I wrote some things for emigre journals and newspapers, mostly elaborating on my non-existent dissident exploits. By that time, Lena had already settled in America. Her letters were more laconic than ever. I work as a typist for a Russian newspaper. Katya goes to school. Our neighborhood is comparatively safe. Our landlord is a nice middle aged American named Andrew Kovalenko. My mother and I lived in Austria till the summer. Vienna was our stepping stone between Leningrad and America. It's such a long way to come that it probably has to be done in two hops. Finally, we received our American papers. The seven hours above the ocean seemed like an eternity to me. There's too little in the air of any interest. But the airplane was already American territory. The airline stewardess behaved like independent people. Friends were waiting for us at Kennedy Airport. A painter named Kulakov and his wife and son. As soon as the greetings were over, they immediately began railing against life in America. Buy a Toyota, old man, Kulakov said, or better still, a Volkswagen. American cars are crap. I asked, but where are Lena and Katya? Kulakov handed me a note. Make yourself at home. We were at the health club. We will be home around eight. There is food in the refrigerator. Lena. We drove to her apartment in Flushing. The surrounding low landscape reminded me of the seamy part of Leningrad, beyond the Moscow railway station skyscrapers were very much absent. My mother looked out the window and said, the streets are completely empty. This isn't a street, Kulakov objected. This is a highway. What does that mean, highway, my mother asked. Main road, I answered. Lena lived on the first floor of a small brick building. Kulakov helped carry in our suitcases. Then he said, rest up, it's already night in Europe. I'll call you tomorrow. And he left. I had not, of course, expected to be met by a delegation of American writers, but Lena, I thought, could have come to the airport. My mother and I found ourselves in an empty apartment. There were mattresses on the floor in both of the two rooms. Clothes were strewn all over the place. Mama took a look at the refrigerator and said, Cheese here is almost the same as ours. That's funny. Suddenly, I felt incredible fatigue. I lay down on top of a blanket and lit a cigarette the contours of reality began to recede. Who am I, I thought, and from where? What is happening to me? And how will it all turn out? This new life already struck me as too commonplace to hold any significant changes. I also thought, how does human intimacy arise? What do people need to have in order to feel kinship? I woke up early in the morning. Outside the window, a branch was moving back and forth. There was someone beside me. I asked, Who's there? Lena, answered a calm female voice, which then said, You've gotten so heavy. You'll have to start running each morning. I said, For all practical purposes, there's no place to run. I'd prefer to stay here. I hope that is possible. Of course, if you love us. The colonel says I love you. If you love us, then stay. We have no objection. What has love got to do with it? I said. (laughs) Love is for teenagers. Mm -hmm. In our case, it's no longer a matter of love, but of fate. By the way, where's Katya? On a mat next to her grandmother. Then Lena said, look the other way. I covered my face with an American newspaper. Lena got up, put on a bathrobe and asked, would you like tea or coffee? At that moment, Katya appeared. But that's already another story.
0: I, to God, I'm in my I don't think Are we, we not- should analyze it or anything. I think no? we should just let it you know Wait, anything. I just wanna can can I say some things about yeah. yeah. So
1: yesterday evening when I was having dinner with my with my Russian professor from Reed who was in town with Jenya. You really
0: narrowed it down. <laughs> <laughs>
1: My Russian professor for Yeah, <laughs>
0: said that you already talked about um, how you saw him the other day. Okay. Yeah, I know. Okay, but okay. We don't know if that's gonna be it here. Anyway, um,
1: so when I was having dinner with him, I knew I was gonna read this the story, and I asked him, I just asked him like, why? Well, my question was, is Dostoevsky considered passé? Um, and just like, why don't why don't we read him at in in the Russian literature major at Reed, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, yeah. He he said it's not that he, it's not that it's passé. It's just Dovlatov is like really difficult to read in English, or or just to teach rather, because like according to him, he's he's someone who uh, who definitely loses a lot in translation, and um, mm-hmm. like. There's all this – there's so many layers and so much, so much loaded in the language itself that, like, first of all, you're losing that when you read it in translation. And secondly, if you're reading it in Russian, you're, you have to explain all these things. Um, it just – it makes him a hard, hard person to teach, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But because, like, you could see in this story, even, like, as an example, there were a lot of, like um, – References, so like not language related, but just references to local th- things. Yeah, right? Yeah. And like, um, like when the friends are drinking vodka in the beginning and they go, they're like, oh, let's go to like Yeliseev's. It's, like it's like a really big, expensive, um, store in St. Petersburg. Like that would be lost. It still exists. Yeah. It's like a touristy place now, but
0: it's like, but, but that's
1: the case with Lani. Yeah. Well, that's not a good example so references are not like the only thing i'm saying like there's on the one hand references which is always the case and then a language thing and i was even like looking at the russian version of this story and um yeah like he so he his language can be very um sort of short and simple sometimes and like i i mean that's when I started reading his shorts, I bought a book of his short stories when I moved here because, like, I hadn't read them at Reed, but I had heard of him and was, like, this is a good person for me to read because it's, it's like, easy, quote-unquote, to read him, um, right. language-wise. And, like, I don't know, just the, the, the Russian he—the words he uses in Russian, like, when you translate them, like, for an example—I'll um I'll just give one example—the sentence— Um, When you translate them into English, they just become much longer and not as, like, juicy. Like, the sentence, I had a room in a communal apartment, but a room with its own entrance. Okay. And in Russian, that is, um, so it was, I had a room in in a communal apartment, but a room with its own entrance. And in Russian, it just says, I had a room with a separate entrance. Okay. But when you say, I had a room, like, in this context, you know it's in a communal apartment. And also that's it. <laughs> it's like I had a room with a separate entrance and it's just like totally different in English. It's much more explainy. Um Then like the window looked out on
0: the explain plane. for the slow, dumb American
1: audience. Or like will or not
0: understand.
1: It's just it's not even it's just like also in Russian like the sometimes like like the word for garbage dump is just one word, pamwyka. And so it's yeah. like the window looked out on the thing it's just like the beat is different right, right so yeah so i mean this is always the case obviously with with translating but um yeah, that was just a little comment
0: i wanted to make because i don't know how did it did it sound like awkward to you no it didn't sound awkward to me i the sentences felt short to me still even though they weren't like as short as the original there were times when you were kind of out of the like flow of it at the beginning but then once you started actually reading yeah it was fine
1: it only sounded awkward to me just some of the turns of phrases sounded awkward to me like they sounded translated
0: Mm -hmm. but but that's probably because you're you're more attuned to that sort of thing okay anyway so no you don't have anything else to say about it i don't have anything in particular to say about it i liked it cool propaganda So this week's propaganda hour slash few minutes is on this post that Lena Dunham made. And I want to be sensitive to the fact that she's sick right now. So we're not like railing against her. But I think the shirt she's wearing in it is is a good example of these sort of like subtle jokey propagandas we've been addressing. So she's it's an Instagram post sitting It's an Instagram post, yeah. She's sitting on a doctor's table. I don't know what those are called. And she's wearing a shirt that says, dance like Russia isn't watching. And Um, sunglasses. And and sunglasses. And she's holding up, I don't know, some like medical thing in each hand. Yeah, and then the caption says, you can never say she didn't bring a very specific attitude for her checkups, to her checkups. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I really had to say about this is that sort of this like shifting from making jokes about the NSA watching to making jokes about Russia watching. Um I don't really have anything past that to say. I um,
1: mean, yeah, like what is this t-shirt? Why was it made? Why are people concerned about Ru- like how did how did it come from like this transition from the Russian government hacked into Our official government databases to their spying on us. Is it the same? That doesn't seem the same to me. Spying on everyday people? Like, is that the same for everyone? Spying and hacking, it's all one thing?
0: Yeah, probably in some sense. It's just like a conflated genre of thing. Um, One thing, like, I wasn't around during the Cold War, so I don't know what the feeling was, but I think it's important to recognize that we're in like a meme age, which means that if like Russia is a hot word, then people are going to use it to like capitalize off of it, right? Like in the same way that we put Russia in the title of our podcast, like people are going to put Russia on t-shirts in order to sell t-shirts. Right, right, right. That's yeah. Which may have not been a thing during Cold War (laughs) one. Yeah, I mean, during the during the original Cold War,
1: it's a little bit people different. Were, like,
0: and also, maybe people were—I don't, I don't know—maybe people were actually scared during the original Cold War. And I don't, I mean, I don't feel like people are scared now of Russia, really. Right? Wasn't
1: it pretty like divided along, you know, like liberal people, like our parents were, like quote unquote, like sympathize pro communist sort of feeling.
0: I don't know. And then Republicans,
1: conservatives it. were, were like the commie haters. You should ask them.
0: Well, maybe so, but like think about like JFK was dealing with the Cold War also, and he was a Democrat. So I don't think it was. Yeah, I don't know. You I know exactly party
1: lines, but yeah, it's yeah,
0: and Dance it, it like... went on for so long that the feeling about it certainly shifted. I'm sure over the like yeah. The yeah. half century,
1: many, many generations. Dance like Russia isn't watching. I mean. Yeah, so it's a good point you made about, like, the sellability of a sort of meme any meme-like phrase. Like, that's already a meme phrase, and then they just use, like, a buzzword, Russia. So, yeah, I see that. But it's weird to me that, like, why is she, why is Lena Dunham wearing that shirt? (laughs) Is that, like, a way of being liberal right now? Yes, yeah, totally. So, okay, so you're, like, expressing your liberalness by saying that like Russia is spying on everyone and hacking everyone.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's That weird. is a weird thing. Like it's super weird signaling that you're liberal by implicating Russia. It's like almost like yeah, it's because it
1: seems like it's because all that Trump represents as a figure and all that Russia represents are starting to sort of like conflate because pr- yeah. Trump is like pro Russia in a way, in the sense that he doesn't want to blame them for the things that
0: a lot of people want to blame them for. Um, yeah. So it's like, well, but but keep in mind also that it's possible that Lena Dunham believes that Trump colluded with the Russians, not just like Trump is pro them.
1: No, well, that's what I mean. Like people, so if everyone's saying like that's what I mean, believe like the collusion, the hacking, okay. like and now because it's like if you hate Trump and Trump potentially was, like, worked or came to power because of the help of the Russian government, then it's like a projection of you hating Trump is to also hate Russian. It's just like a, yeah, it's been layered on top. But it's, this is weird because it's, I guess it's, like, jokingly anti-Russian. But, yeah, like you said, it's a replacement for our own government spying on us. Yeah. Yeah. Which feels, like, kind of just straight up naive or something to be like, again, like it's all happening somewhere else. It's not happening here.
0: Right.
1: It's, that's sort of the, yeah, I mean, this this t-shirt is like a microcosm for
0: the, I, I feel, you keep using that word microcosm, but I don't think that's right. <laughs> Representation. Yeah, like microcosm in my mind is like a mini- environment that represents a like a, a bigger environment you No, know, but i'm not using environment like uh biologically i'm just saying like general like all the context of a given place
1: yeah it's not okay it's not microcosm you're right it's not correct it's like a, a there's a term for this and i'm not gonna be able to remember it, but it's like a a representative example yeah and, like, I feel like this t-shirt, in a really silly way that she's wearing, this t-shirt, like has it has it's doing a similar thing where it's like, well, this is happening in the u s, but, like, we're going to blame Russia for it um or like, point the finger at Russia. It's just like, right oh, and no. and
0: and to be honest, like, it's perfectly possible that the same company makes t-shirts that say dance like the NSA isn't watching. And they are, like, just solely focused on selling T-shirts. So they'll
1: but, put whatever they want but,
0: on it. <laughs> Right. But, like, for people that are, like, liberal and want to signal not only are they liberal, but, like, watching politics in some way, then they would choose this shirt. Because the, the NSA spying is not the hot topic of the day anymore. No. Snowden, sorry, but. Sorry, Snowden. Not hot. The time in the sun is over. Not hot. You're pale. <laughs> Try being Russia. You're pale.
1: He's in Russia, though, so he has a little sort of, like, twist. Yeah, you
0: know, that's he gets true. He be like,
1: wait, I'm still here. <laughs> this is crazy. This is okay, the description we'll of this t-shirt. We got this from a reliable source. I tell you what, there's only one way to live this life. You've got to love like you'll never be hurt, sing like there's nobody listening, and dance like Russia isn't watching. What I'm saying is, give it all you've got. Don't worry about the consequences, or what other people might be thinking, or the fact that the Kremlin has bugged your hotel room with secret cameras so that they could blackmail you after you became president of the United States. Just go for it. Don't forget, you only go around this crazy merry-go-round once, and Vladimir Putin will be right there on the horse next to you, watching. What?
0: Oh my god. This is like (sighs) the internet at its worst yeah not well no 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 (laughs) (laughs) the internet gets much worse sorry this is (laughs) this is like the internet and it's annoying
1: this is what this is is people just yeah like you said trying to capitalize on like real fear mixed with ignorance and like real events and it's just wow and then lena dunham wears it so it's just it's working great they're gonna sell a lot of Mm t-shirts
0: Body update? I think you should share something. I'm always the one sharing. That's not true. Oh, I think I might have a UTI. (laughs) It's a body update
1: yeah, yeah well. so we, this is you you had a yeast infection and now we've transformed into uti yeah
0: because yeah. okay i don't think i've ever had a uti have you
1: Ooh. no Not i don't I don't, I don't think so i can't remember i know i've had yeast infections. i don't know
0: that, okay, so this is, it's supposed know, right? to burn when you, it's supposed, yeah, it's, you would probably remember, but like, it's supposed to hurt when you pee. And it's like this weird thing where like, it hurts when I first start peeing and then it stops, like once the stream is going. So I don't that's know, not, I'm going to give it, sorry. What?
1: Well, that's not
0: like anything to do with, um, with yeast infections. That doesn't happen, right? No, it's not a yeast infection. There's no like grossness down there.
1: Wow! I remember I Liz know. got a lot of UTIs.
0: Oh, she's around. I should ask her.
1: Yeah. Hello. She, yes. She will give you, She'll tell <laughs> Lily you. Liz like, says you get a lot of UTIs. Well, she used to. She, uh, and like, she'll. She used to. I mean, I don't know. She has methods. I think you need to drink yeah. like cranberry omage- juice. Oh yeah, cranberry juice. So you know. Yeah. You googled. I know. I'm I I googled feel like enough. UTIs. Well, I'm are, gonna get it another day. Some people are more susceptible Another to them bit. and it can depend on birth control. And um, I think if you take hormone, are you taking birth control? I
0: have an IUD. Oh, right. You have a copper. Yeah. So I don't know what's going on with your vagina. Yeah. it's It's been stabilizing a little bit more, I feel. I think it was just like in a state of upset, you know, it like moved to New York. It was in the big city didn't know what was going on. Then it got an IUD. It was like, what is this metal in my vagina? Vagina? It's not in your vagina, but okay. I know. It's in my uterus. But it went through my vagina to get there. I know where journey. it is. I know where it is. Yeah. Um, so, well, uh, then I was just traveling. It's a very fickle beast.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't like that
0: you're calling it a beast, but okay. I like it. Like a wild, like where the wild things are type of beast. Like a little monster. Yeah. Creepier, creepier.
1: A little monster. Oh my god. I feel so bad about the
0: not picking a woman writer. Fuck, I suck.
1: Next time. It's okay. It's
0: okay. We're I think we'll just be we're we've been really male centric. Like we've barely talked about women. You realize that because like who runs the world?
1: We we could talk about pussy. Girls. (laughs) Girls. Yeah, we should talk about pussy riot because I wanna I would like to look into them because I I don't know that much About them
0: Vaginas have a lot Of liquids in them Yeah It's just like a swamp Down there That's disgusting (laughs) It's not swampy It's it's very clean It's where the the monster lives (laughs) It's clean and beautiful And smells amazing Mine is clean and perfect It's hairless (laughs) Oh Oh, yeah Trust me when Nothing's in my way my name, fast car, race car games mm-hmm. car in my name dropped off of the rain that's the end of the episode thanks for listening the theme music is shit happens by t.r Wack. be sure to follow us on twitter and instagram at she's in russia i,
1: I live on the street now so sometimes cars honk literally <laughs> <laughs> i mean my windows are on the street oh my god I live on the street.